Well, good morning, everybody. Give me a wave if you can see me. Yes, lovely to see you all. <laughs> it's always it's always wonderful when we do that. Somebody's got a mic on still, I think. So, right. Anyway, um, if you can make sure you're muted at the start of the service, um, and then we'll make a start. So, lovely to see you all on this wonderful. Apparently, in in Whitstable, it's still sunny, whereas the rest of us have still got some rain round here in Surrey. So. Um, we've got a little bit damp here, but we're still here to praise God and give him the glory this morning. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't have any special um, notices to give, um, but um, I'm sure that um, just to make sure that everybody knows that this morning it is communion. So if you can make sure that you've got uh, some juice and some bread handy for when we do that in a little while. Um, I'll just uh, pray as we start. Father God, we thank you that we come before an awesome and wonderful God that is worthy of praise this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would take the praises of your people and just multiply them this morning to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to start with, as I was, I was asked to do a rip-roaring hymn. So um, we're starting with crowning him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Let's uh, let's sing sing together. Oh, 
what you've done My finest efforts are filthy rags But I'm made righteous by trusting in the sun I have God's riches at Christ's expense Cause it's grace, there's nothing I can do To make you love me more To make you love me less than you About faith, I'm standing on this stone Of Christ and Christ alone Your righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace Call and chosen I was far away You brought me into your family Free, forgiven My guilt is washed away Your loving kindness is life to me Cause it's grace There's nothing I can do To make you love me more To make you love me less than you About faith I'm standing on the stone Of Christ and Christ alone your righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace Grace loves the sinner Loves all I am and all I'll ever be Oh yeah Makes me a winner Whatever lies the devil throws at me Freely given For with priceless blood my life was ransomed at Calvary Then my Jesus gave everything he could That I might live for eternity Cause it's grace, there's nothing I can do To make you love me more, to make you love me less than you do About faith, I'm standing on the stone Of Christ and Christ alone Righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace There's nothing I can do To make you love me more To make you love me less than you faith I'm standing on the stone Of Christ and Christ alone Your righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace Amen. Hallelujah. What an amazing God we serve, isn't it? Uh, just to come before him this morning and realise that it is grace that's uh, brought us together and grace that bought our, our ransom at Calvary. What an amazing God we serve. Um, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, like everyone here this morning. Lord, we want to just thank you that it was by your grace that you sent Jesus to be on this earth to bring salvation to each one of us to die and to rise again and to reign forever and Lord we thank you for that Lord thank you for the redemption of our sins this morning we want to just praise you for who you are Lord we pray for our country in the situation that we're in at the moment Lord we pray for wisdom um, for those in authority we ask for you to be with them and help them make the right decisions Lord we ask that you would give us grace as we deal with those decisions. And Lord, we just pray that in your mercy you would heal this land. That Lord, you would just come and pour out your spirit upon this land. And Father God, that we would just see people turning to you. Lord, we know that people are praying more during this coronavirus crisis. 
And Lord, we just pray that their prayers would be answered, that you would reveal yourself to people, and that, Lord, we would just see your name lifted high. Lord, we pray for those in our fellowship um, and those that we know of who, who are struggling at this time, who are lonely, who are isolated. Lord, we pray that you would just be with them and help them. We pray that those who are struggling from sickness, Lord, that you would just bring healing. And Father God, we just ask that you would pour out a blessing at this time. Lord, just be with us as we continue on in our service, Lord, as we have communion, Lord, and we celebrate and remember and uh, come around the table, Lord. But Lord, no, we just ask that you would just bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm, now we've got Mark's talk, um, and so I'm just going to move it on to that. But before that... Hi, everyone. I hope you're well. We're going to continue in the story of Peter this week. Today, we're going to be looking at how Peter's faith grew and developed over the next few years. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Peter tried to protect Jesus and got it wrong in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. Just before this, Jesus had been explaining to his disciples that he was going to be arrested and put to death. But it was going to be all right because he would rise from the dead again three days later. Peter argued with Jesus and told him that he would never let that happen. I guess this is what Peter was trying to do when he cut off the official's ear. Peter told Jesus that he would never leave him or give up on him, even if he me it meant he himself would be put to death. But Jesus knew that Peter was still learning, and he told Peter that he would actually deny that he knew Jesus three times that very night. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him to the temple where he'd been taken. It was late in the evening and getting cold, and as Peter entered the temple courtyard, he was asked on three separate occasions whether he knew Jesus. Each time, Peter said he didn't know Jesus, with increasing emphasis. And as soon as Peter had denied Jesus for the third time, a cock crowed, and this was the sign that Jesus had said would happen. Peter immediately remembered what Jesus had said and was very upset. He realised that he'd let Jesus down again. He was distraught and collapsed in tears. But Jesus still loved him. And I think this was a bit of a turning point in Peter's life. He realised that he could trust and believe everything that Jesus said and did. He realised that following Jesus was not a part-time occupation, but a way of life. We're now going to jump forward 10 years to the day to see how Peter is getting on. Over the past few years, Peter had been travelling around, telling people about Jesus and spreading the good news. The church was growing all over the region. But Peter was now back in Jerusalem. King Herod was very keen to please the Jewish people and the Romans. So he decided to suppress the church as anti-Jewish and anti-Roman. <laughs> 
Herod had James arrested. James was a really good friend of Peter and one of the original 12 disciples. But when Herod had him arrested, he executed him. When he saw that this pleased the Jews and the Romans, Herod decided that he should arrest Peter. It was the anniversary of the Last Supper. And I wonder what Peter was thinking. It was the anniversary of the night of Jesus' arrest, just before his crucifixion. And one of Peter's best friends had just been arrested and martyred. His mind must have been racing, remembering the time that he'd denied Jesus before. Peter must have been tempted to do the same again, to resist arrest and to try and save himself. But Peter had learnt a lot over the past 10 years. He'd learnt that it was more important to trust in God and spread the gospel than worry about what would happen to him. So he went with the guards, quietly, calmly, and without any fuss. The rest of the believers in Jerusalem, the church, if you like, prayed earnestly for Peter. But Herod didn't have Peter executed immediately because it was Passover and he wanted to please the Jewish leaders. So he planned to put Peter in prison until Passover was over and then try and execute him. He was guarded by 16 soldiers and bound with chains to some of them. This may have been a little bit over the top for one man, but Peter was trusting God. He knew that whatever happened was part of God's plan. If he was rescued, then he would continue to spread the word. But if he wasn't and he died, then he would be with Jesus and his death would act as a witness to so many. Peter was at peace with the situation, so much so that the night before his trial and impending execution, he was sleeping between two guards while chained to them. And as he was sleeping, an angel appeared and woke him up. When Peter woke up, he found that all his chains had fallen off and all the prison doors were unlocked and open. The angel led Peter out of the prison and into the streets and then disappeared. Peter praised God and returned to the believers to tell them what had happened. Peter's faith had been rewarded. He was no longer the scared, weak individual that had denied Jesus 10 years earlier. But he was now the man of God who had ultimate confidence in what he believed and the God he loved. He was determined to tell everyone he met how they too could have eternal life through belief in Jesus. Now, I wonder, do I have the same confidence? Or am I more concerned about what might happen to me? Thank you.
Well, let's continue on with our service. Um, hopefully you can hear me. Just give me a wave if you can. Yes, good. All right, I didn't know whether I was muted or not. Um, <laughs> we're, we're about to have a song just before communion. Um, it's, it says in scripture that we ought to examine ourselves before we come to, to take bread and wine. Um, and so as this song is going through, you can either sing along to it or maybe you just want to sit and calmly listen, um, open your hands up and just receive from God as, as, we, um, as we get ready for communion. Thank you. Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again And once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life Exalted to the highest place King of the heavens Where one day I'll bow But for now I marvel at this saving grace And I'm full of praise once again I'm full of praise once again And once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life Thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, my friend. And once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside once again I thank you 
Once again I pour out my life song there and for leading us into uh, into communion so sensitively we read of jesus in the prophet isaiah isaiah 53 he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Let's pray as we come to take the bread sharing the wine. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were obedient to the Father's will in suffering even death on the cross. We cannot imagine, Jesus, the agony physically that you went through as the nails were driven through your hands and feet and as you gasped for air. But even the physical agony paled into its insignificance next to the weight of sin that you carried on that cross. And you were forsaken by the Father because of our sin. You who had no sin were made to be sin for us so that by trusting in you, we might receive your righteousness and that we could be forgiven because you took the punishment, the wrath, the judgment of God, of death, 
in our place on the cross when you died for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for your shed blood represented by this wine, the wine of the new kingdom, and for your shed blood, which establishes a new relationship, washes away our sin. And thank you for this bread, which symbolizes your body, your body that was wounded, that we might be healed and forgiven and reconciled to the Father. We just, we're in awe and wonder again at the foot of the cross. And as we gaze on you there, Jesus, we thank you that you paid the debt of our sin. And thank you that the cross is now empty because you rose from the grave. You defeated sin and death and evil. And as you were raised, so one day when you come again, we will be raised as you were raised. And thank you that this meal anticipates the banquet that we will one day sit down with you and share in heaven, Jesus, the banquet, the, what the wedding banquet of the bride, the church with the bridegroom, you in heaven for eternity. And so Jesus, we look forward to that, to this banquet in heaven that this simple meal anticipates. And we look back with thanksgiving as well to that last supper, which signified the death that you would die for us. And thank you for your presence even now as we share the bread and wine. We ask that by your spirit, you would come and strengthen us. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us now and evermore, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we take the bread and we remember that Jesus broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take and eat the body of Christ with thanksgiving. We remember, too, that after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said to his disciples, take this and drink it in remembrance of my blood shed for you. So let's drink with thanksgiving. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you again that you were obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus, you suffered unjustly. You who had no sin became sin for us in order to deal with our sin and reconcile us to God. And thank you that you have broken the power of sin, death and evil through your cross and resurrection. And we praise you and worship you because you are now exalted and reigning at the right hand of the Father. And you are coming again to bring about your eternal kingdom. But thank you that today, as you meet with us around your table, you promise us through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, your help, your comfort, your healing in our sufferings. And we pray today for Christians suffering unjustly around the world, especially those Christians who are persecuted for their faith. We pray for Christians in China who face police raids and attacks on churches. We pray for the church in India where extremists are destroying churches and threatening and killing Christians. We pray for Christians in Nigeria suffering attacks and violence from Fulani militia and Boko Haram. We pray for Christians in Iran, where Christian face, Christians face imprisonment, flogging, fines and even the death penalty. Jesus, please watch over and guard your church. Strengthen your people in the face of persecution. Stay the hand of the persecutors, we pray. Build your church in these countries. And Lord, for the church in our nation, we pray for courage to stand up for biblical truth in these days. Lord, as we face increasing secularism, help your church to be truly salt and light, to be willing to speak up for Christ, even in the face of hostility. And Lord, we pray too for those in need in our churches. Lord, we pray for those who are anxious about health for themselves and others. Lord, we pray for Roger and Angela and Ivy. We pray for Sylvia, for Pat, for Peter, for Joan. Lord, we ask for your healing power for them, for your blessing and favour upon them as they face difficult circumstances and make decisions. And in a moment of silence, an opportunity just for you to lift before God for healing and help and mercy, those known to you who need Christ's touch of mercy, help and healing. Father, we pray for those facing difficult economic and employment situations too, in our families, in our community. Lord, we pray for those who are worried about losing their job. Lord, those who face uncertainty over the future, we pray for your guidance. We pray, Lord, for blessing and favour. 
And Lord, lastly, we pray for ourselves that you would give us courage by the power of your Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Christ, particularly in these days, Lord, where people are searching, inquiring, where there is an openness to prayer and to talking about faith. We ask Jesus for your courage and strength and anointing to be willing to come alongside people, to listen, to show compassion, to be Christ to them. Jesus, help us in this, we pray, to be salt and light in these times. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Martin. Well, we move on to our reading, which is today from 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 18, and then 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 6, and it's going to be coming up on the screen. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who were now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Let's pray for Martin as he speaks. Father God, just pour out your spirit now upon Martin. Lord, bless him as he speaks. Lord, impart your words to us, we ask now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steve, for uh, leading us so well yet again and for persevering with the uh, technology. Um, you know, I'm really grateful to, to Mark and Steve and for, for the whole team because they they. You know, this is a team effort, and um, they set me up so well for my for my talk. Um, so you know, it's like a launch pad thing, and uh, Steve's worship uh, so sensitively done, and Mark's talk, which kind of tells the story of Peter's journey, is so important to us understanding. You know, what Peter writes later on in his letters comes out of personal experience, and so as Mark tells the story of Peter's journey of faith, which is pretty checkered and dodgy at times, isn't it, and ropey, I, I find myself connecting more with Peter because I think, oh, he's, he's kind of like me. He's a bit hot and cold, hit and miss. He hasn't got it all together. And so I, when you know that, what you can read Peter's letters with that in the background and think, oh, yeah, 
but Peter's an ordinary guy like me, and so that's really helped me. So thank you, Mark. I want to talk today about uh, confident in witness. What we're all called to be witnesses, but we we can be confident even in these um, days of uh, where the church seems to be more and more marginalised. Um, we can be confident in our witness. Have you noticed though that conversations about the Christian faith don't come in neat and tidy ways? You know, you can read lots of um, books, can't you, on or go on courses on evangelism, and um, have you noticed that conversations about faith always come up when you're not expecting them uh, from kind of sometimes it's a bit too close to home as well that it's a family member or you know you're at a nice social function at a barbecue and somebody raises something and you think oh please not now can I just relax or you know it's all it never it's never convenient is it and and often people are sort of ask us about our faith and they they can be quite angry and emotional they may have been hurt by faith in the past. They may be hostile. They may be cynical. They might be skeptical. I often come across people who say, um, well, I used to be religious, but I've kind of moved on from that, or I'm a lapsed Catholic, you know, and they, they can be quite cynical, skeptical about the Christian faith. But people don't raise the faith in sometimes nice, comfortable ways, do they? They don't sit, you don't sit down with somebody in a dinner party or a coffee a coffee table and they often say oh Martin I've been so fascinated by your faith for so long tell me all about it if only that happened often it's it's much more messy than that isn't it and we're often unprepared so people come out with um, all kinds of awkward statements don't they at inconvenient times um, like in my experience Christians are often intolerant and bigoted or you're kind of those holier-than-thou people a little bit hypocritical at times, or Christianity is the cause of wars. Um, or people say, well, the Bible um, supports slavery, the subjugation of women, um, and in the Old Testament, God seems to be a God of violence and war and, and all the rest of it. And so people can be quite emotional when they raise the Christian faith, particularly if they if they've got pastoral reasons underneath, if they've been hurt or they've got family issues or whatever, that they often, they often come at it uh, very emotionally. And um, if you've ever experienced mocking or insults or anger or hostility towards your Christian faith, you're in good company because Peter certainly experienced insults and even threats because of his faith. Um, Mark told the story there, didn't he, of... Um, Peter was threatened time and again in the book of Acts not to speak about Jesus. And he kept doing it because um, he was told to. God said, don't fear men, um, carry on speaking. And he ended up in prison. He was flogged. He was threatened. He even received a death sentence. But God intervened time and time again. And, and uh, at least twice in Acts 5 and Acts 12, God sends an angel to release Peter and the apostles from prison. And so Peter knew what it was to speak up for Jesus and experience persecution. And it was Peter's story is quite amazing, isn't it? Because as Mark said, 10 years before that, he was the one that we all remember who denied Jesus. Do you remember, you know, that Peter was stood there warming his hands on the fire as Jesus was facing crucifixion and was arrested 
And Peter said, I never knew him. I never knew him. I never knew him. And the cock crowed. And yet this is the same Peter who courageously stands before the religious leaders and says, I cannot stop preaching about Jesus. Um, and uh, he he faces imprisonment, flogging and all the rest of it. And he's willing to stand up and say, I speak for Jesus. So it's possible for you and I to make a journey as Peter did, to become bold and confident in our witness. And as a result of Peter's experience, he writes in uh, verses 13 and 14, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid. Now, what Peter is saying here is that it's pretty rare that as Christians, we will suffer if we do good. So if we, if we are salt and light and we speak and act in the name of Jesus, it's pretty rare that we're going to um, come into harm or we're going to face hostility. But when we do, and if we do, Peter says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. This is normal Christianity. In other words, you will come across from time to time people in your family, people in your friends, neighbours, the people that you play golf with or go to the pub with or socialise with. Occasionally you will find and come across someone who is angry and hostile towards your Christian faith. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. This is normal Christianity, says Peter. Peter wants us to be confident in our witness, even in the face of hostility and anger and slander. So he writes in verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, Peter, even when threatened to stop speaking by the religious authorities, said, we cannot help but speak about Jesus. Um, he's confident and bold in his answer, but he's never rude and disrespectful. Even though the religious authorities make threats against him about um, killing him and flogging him and all the rest of it, he never disrespects them. He simply boldly states, I have a gospel to preach. Jesus is raised from the dead and I have this good news to share and I will share it because we must fear God rather than human beings. So he's never disrespectful, um, but he is bold and confident. Now, the sort of questions that we're going to be asked are going to be different probably from the ones that Peter was asked by the religious authorities. But nonetheless, people may sometimes raise the Christian faith or ask questions. Um, back in my uh, 20s and 30s, uh, I can just about remember those days, I, I used to be a teacher and uh, my first job was in uh, Whitstable. Uh, I lived in Whitstable in Kent. And I used to teach, first of all, in Broadstairs and then in Maidstone. And uh, I lived at that time uh, in a flat with a guy who was a biologist. And he was quite hostile towards the Christian faith. And he would raise it in a kind of sceptical, cynical, hostile kind of way. We got on really well 99% of the time, except when it came to the Christian faith. And he would become quite hostile. Do you have those kind of friends? You know, it's the kind of no-go conversation 
thing. But sometimes he would ask, and it was often when I was not expecting it, I was kind of caught off guard. And uh, I remember on a number of occasions, he would come out with a big statement like, in my opinion, all religions cause um, war and violence and oppression. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a big one to contend with, isn't it? When you live with somebody, you're either going to massively fall out and have a massive argument, or you're going to have to find ways of respectfully engaging and disagreeing. And Peter would have us answer with respect and gentleness and not get into massive arguments with people. In other words, it's more important how we say what we say than what we say. Um, we, I could be right, in, I could be totally right and um, a better arguer than my flatmate, but if I've got into an argument and both of, our, both of us have got really angry and hostile, do you think I've pointed him to the Christian faith? Probably not. I may win the argument, but I won't have won the person to Jesus, right? I think it's better to, to fumble your answer and not, and, and not have such a good answer and lose the argument, but be gentle and respectful in the process. In other words, it's not you winning the argument that's going to point someone to Christ. It is your humility, your gentleness, your kindness, your love, your compassion that will point the person to Jesus. So don't worry about fumbling an answer or, you know, just worry more about the character that you're displaying as you give an answer. Um, if you're anything like me, you fumble your way through answers. But let's do that with humility and love and compassion. Um, I haven't always got this right. Um, my granddad, just before he died, I was at college um, doing a theology degree and I decided it was time for him to come to faith. And so I went into the nursing home and I basically told him that he needed to get his house in order, um, you know, ready to meet him upstairs, as it were. I wasn't subtle. I wasn't kind. I wasn't compassionate. And guess what? Um, we got into a heated argument and uh, we both kind of came away um, angry, um, wound up and all the rest of it because uh, I guess it runs in the family, but I can be quite, um, what should we say, um, unyielding, says my wife from spinning on my office chair. Apparently, I can be quite unyielding. You can't imagine it, can you? <laughs> and my grandfather, I guess it's the Robinson genes, is really unyielding. So you can imagine these two uh, unyielding characters banging into each other and winding each other up. Well, that it wasn't honouring to God. Instead of showing him gentleness and respect, I was wanting to win the argument, and I, and I didn't. I never did. Um, so what do we do when people inconveniently raise uh, raise their pastoral issues? Uh, they're often veiled in religious language. What do you and I do? Well, this is, this is, I think, a, a good guide. We all need to become chaplains, all right? We're all chaplains for Jesus. And what I mean by that is we all need to learn the art of listening compassionately and patiently. Um, so what I'm trying to do these days, um, and it's a, I'm on the nursery slopes of learning to do this well, if somebody passionately and even angrily says, I believe all Christians are um, hypocrites. 
or Christianity causes war and violence and oppression, rather than coming in with a kind of textbook answer and kind of quickly reading the chapter and then saying, oh, I'll hang on a minute, just let me put my nose in a book of apologetics and I'll be back to you in a minute. Rather than doing that is to say to them, why do you feel that way? Why do you believe that? What's led you to think that? And guess what you've got to do next? You've got to sit back with your flat white and you've got to listen, okay? Now, for me, it's a flat white. It could be a latte for you. I don't know what your uh, poison of choice is, but that's what I like. So you're in a coffee shop, someone raises the topic and hey folks, this is the chaplain bit, sit back and listen. Asking good questions is the most loving and compassionate thing that we can often do, particularly when people have been hurt or have pastoral issues or have, you know, tried the faith in the past and rejected it or have been, you know, known a Christian who hasn't been a good witness. We've got to listen. And sometimes, folks, we've got to be willing to put our hands up and say, yeah, that isn't a good thing. Um, so, for example, my flatmate, when he said um, Christianity causes wars, etc., I have to hold my hands up and say there is a there is some history of violence from Christians here. And you are right to a certain degree. However, I did take him to task on. Uh, the Holocaust and how secularism and atheism has caused wars too. But we have to take it on the chin sometimes and, and admit that the person may just have a point. All right, that's the humility and the gentleness and the respect. But then we can point them to Jesus and say, look, I understand that Christians have not always represented Jesus well, but he, look, here's the teaching of Jesus himself. Although Christians historically have not always got this right, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we can always point people to the cross and say, look, I believe that God is loving and just because he punished his own son, that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still a long way off, Christ died to reconcile us to God. And so the cross is always a great thing to turn people to. Um, so I, I often find if you don't know the answer, don't make it up. Just say, I don't know the answer. Show humility and respect and just say, but I do know that God loves me. And I do know that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die for me and for you. Um, so it's not what you say, it's how you say it that's all important. And Peter sums all this up for us in verse 17. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Um, so it's better to speak of Christ, even when that brings some hostility towards us, than is just to go for a comfortable and easy ride. We're all as Christians, aren't we? Not really wanting to go to the uncomfortable places and listen uh, patiently. We often, we've, we've, often we've got better things to do than to listen to somebody's outpouring of anger and hurt, right? We've all been there. We thought, oh, no, I'm not, I don't want to go here. Or, or, yeah. But actually, we need to be chaplains. We need to ask people questions and say, tell me more about why you were once a Catholic and you're now a lapsed Catholic. Tell me about it. What caused that? 
And do you know what? As you listen with compassion and attentiveness, do you know what happens? You build trust and people are far more likely to ask you about your faith. And often what happens is people say, people feel guilty after a while, don't they? They say, oh, oh, excuse me, I've been talking for half an hour and you haven't said anything. And they go, oh, I'm really sorry. And you say, well, let me, let me just be really brief, you know, and you can tell them your story, tell them the gospel. So folks, learn to be chaplains for the Christian faith. Learn to listen with compassion and patience. Listening is worth a thousand words, right? Because it shows that you love and respect that person and that you're interested in what they've got to say. So don't shout, don't argue, listen and love with compassion and gentleness and respect. Questioning evangelism, that's what we're called to do. Be a chaplain for Jesus, okay? So that's your, that's your task this week, be a chaplain for Jesus. You see, we're not called to an easy and comfortable ride. People raise things at the water cooler or even on Zoom, probably more so these days, um, because they want to talk about it. They've got hurts and pain that they want to talk about. And our job is to listen and to offer Jesus where we can. We're not called to an easy and comfortable life, but to follow the example of Christ. Verse 18. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So Jesus is our example. He has blazed a trail. He has walked the path of suffering. And he calls you and I to walk the path of suffering. Sometimes we will experience hostility precisely because we're doing good. We're living a life that displays Christ. And sometimes people, that will wind people up precisely because they've rejected religion. They've rejected Jesus. And our living of a good life will evoke something in them. It will kind of stir up anger or passion or rejection of Jesus in them. They will resent us or even be jealous of our faith. And so when that happens, we're to remember that we're simply following in the footsteps of Jesus. Um, but of course, Jesus died in a way that we can, we can never suffer as Jesus died because Jesus died to pay for our sin, to pay the punishment of our sin. Um, but P Peter's point is that Christian suffering shows that we've chosen to live for Christ rather than for the desires of this world. So chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he has suffered in his body is done with sin. Peter is saying, look, it's not that we finish with sin in the sense that we won't struggle with it. It's that we've lived, we've, we've done away with the old life of living um, for sin. And we're now living for Christ. And as we live obediently following Christ's footsteps, we will experience sometimes unjust suffering. There will be some hostility that comes from the world because people reject Jesus. And then again in verse two. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You see, living for the will of God will result in some hostility, some cynicism, some anger towards our Christian faith. We shouldn't be surprised at this. Um, in fact, we should rejoice, as Peter and the apostles did when they left and were freed from 
religious authorities. They rejoiced because they counted themselves honored to, to suffer for the name of Jesus. If you suffer for the name of Jesus, any hostility or anger or misunderstanding, rejoice because that shows that you're in the family of God and that you're being obedient to Jesus. You see, everyone will one day have to give an account to Jesus when he comes again as judge of the whole earth. And those who mock and insult Christians and their faith will have to give an account of this to Jesus. And those of us who are Christians will also have to give an account of whether we've been faithful and shared Jesus with our friends, neighbours, work colleagues, family. I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not that I've got it right every time. I fail, like all of us, to be a good witness from time to time. But I want to be someone who's trying to listen compassionately and trying to offer answers about Jesus. I want to be that person who's confident and bold in my witness so that when Jesus comes again, I, I can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, forgive us for those times when, like Peter, we've, we've failed uh, to be witnesses. We've gone for the comfortable and easy ride rather than standing up and witnessing for Jesus. Forgive us. And Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us boldness and confidence to be your witnesses. Help us, Jesus, to be good chaplains, to be those who are patient and compassionate and attentive listeners. Lord, rather than trying to come up with perfect answers for people, help us just to, to ask good questions, to show the love, the mercy, compassion of Christ as we listen to people and engage with them and just be Christ to them. Lord, I pray that even this week, we would have those sorts of conversations with people in the coffee shop, in the pub, over dinner, in the garden, over a cup of tea. Lord, I pray that you would open up opportunities for us to talk about Jesus, but to listen and to show respect and compassion. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Martin. Let's continue um, as, we, as we sing a couple of songs, Blessed Be Your Name. Um, focusing on the name of Jesus um, as as we uh, as we come to finish our service. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, 
as it should be Blessed be your name Blessed be your name On the road marked with suffering Dollars pain in the offering Blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise When the darkness closes in Lord, still I will say Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Give and take away, give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name.
your name all creation knows one who gave you life with breath alone your name your name glory now display all the earth belongs to you alone your name your name the mountains bow and the seas will roar and the rocks cry out all creation calls to the holy one to the son of god we will lift our voice in praise worship your name worship your name your name higher than them all holy one of god the lord of lords your name only son high and lifted up forevermore your name your name and the nations bow and the kingdoms fall every king and priest every prince and lord fall into their knees we'll acknowledge you we will lift our voice in praise honor your To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. To him be glory and honour and praise and thanks. And Lord, just help us to worship your name, to honour your name this week, to lift up your name, to use your name as a blessing to others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 